All right, Ecclesiastes, here we are. And uh, a good day to have the Bible open. We're going to look in chapter 6 of this book of Ecclesiastes that we're working through, which is um, depressing and uplifting at the same time. Just as a sidelight while we're getting underway. Uh, you know how in Ecclesiastes the main word um, that keeps cropping up is meaningless? The, the, the author keeps saying meaningless, throws that word around all over the place. And the Hebrew uh, word for that is hebel, which we, we would spell in English H-E-B-E-L, hebel. And I was driving home this week and I was behind a ute that number plate was hebel. And I looked carefully and it was a building products company. Hebel building products. How about that? Meaningless building products. <laughs> Is basically why? Why would you do? Why would you call your company that? Oh, that is bizarre. Anyway, I'm not 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 lying. It's a true story. Okay, that has nothing to do with what I'm talking about today, though. Uh, Ecclesiastes six, and we'll read the whole chapter. It's just twelve verses long. I have seen another evil under the sun, and it weighs heavily on the human race. God gives some people wealth, possessions, and honor, so that they lack nothing their hearts desire but God does not grant them the ability to enjoy them, and strangers enjoy them instead. This is meaningless, a grievous evil. A man may have a hundred children and live many years, yet no matter how long he lives, if he cannot enjoy his prosperity and does not receive proper burial, I say that a stillborn child is better off than he. It comes without meaning, it departs in darkness, and in darkness its name is shrouded. Though it never saw the sun or knew anything, It has more rest than does that man. Even if he lives a thousand years twice over but fails to enjoy his prosperity. Do not all go to the same place? Everyone's toil is for the mouth, yet the appetite is never satisfied. What advantage have the wise over fools? What do the poor gain by knowing how to conduct themselves before others? Better what the eye sees than the roving of the appetite. This too is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Whatever exists has already been named, and what humanity is has been known. No one can contend with someone who is stronger. The more the words, the less the meaning, and how does that profit anyone? For who knows what is good for people in life during the few and meaningless days they pass through like a shadow? Who can tell them what will happen under the sun after they are gone? This passage is about seeing. This chapter in Ecclesiastes is about vision. It's about what we see. It's about sometimes what we don't see. It's about how to see more clearly. And the passage itself, this chapter, you have to admit as you look at it, it's a bit abstract at the beginning. It's a bit hard to tell what's he really saying. It's all over the place like Ecclesiastes so often is, and it's hard to get a sense of what the controlling image is here. But as you look at it a little more carefully and closely, you start to see something taking shape. The key really is the first six verses. And what the quester, as we're calling him, what the quester is doing here in these first six verses is setting up three different scenarios. And he's mentioning three different types of blessings. Three different types of blessings that can come into people's lives. In, the, in verse 2, he talks about the blessing of wealth, money. God gives some people wealth and possessions and honor. Then in verse 3, he talks about the blessing of children. A man may have a hundred children, which we have to assume is a bit of hyperbole there. A hundred children. So the blessing of children. And then in verse 6, we have the blessing of long life. Even if he lives a thousand years twice over, which we'd have to say is probably exaggeration as well, 
lives a thousand years twice over. Here is someone who is blessed, or some people who are blessed in three ways. They have money, they have children, and they have long life. Now, Bequesta is not just pulling these three random blessings out of his head. These are particular and significant things. In the Old Testament, these were the three primary signs of God's blessing in a person's life or in a person's family. The three great signs of the blessing of God, not necessarily the same ways that we would know a person is blessed today, but certainly in the Old Testament, this was the quintessential blessed life. Wealth and children and long life. You see it over and over again. It's promised in Deuteronomy to Israel. It's promised in Proverbs. This is the path of righteousness and wisdom. What does it lead to? It leads to wealth. Riches are in the house of the righteous man. Uh, Psalms over and over again. The one who is faithful to the Lord will be blessed. Children are a reward from the Lord. And we read that the, the righteous man has long life and many years. Constantly, these are the three blessings that crop up. You could pos- possibly add a fourth, which is health, but these are the three things. These are the three things that Job lost and then regains at the end of the story. You read the last part of Job, it is these blessings coming back into his life. It is wealth, it is children, and it is long life. So this is what the quester is setting us up here, is the ultimately blessed life. Somebody who is supremely blessed. And yet, in typical Ecclesiastes fashion, what happens is that in each case, the blessings turn to disappointment. In each case, something happens to the blessing that turns it from a positive into a negative. So you look at the wealth example in verse 2. God gives some people wealth and possessions and honor so that they lack nothing their hearts desire, but God does not grant them the ability to enjoy it. So this is typical, this is the quester at his cynical best. You've got all the wealth in the world, but you don't get to enjoy it. Someone else, the creditors come and they take it. The investment goes bad and strangers that you don't even know end up consuming your money. This is the picture. What was a blessing has turned into a disappointment. In the case of the guy that has a hundred children, look at what happens to him. He lives many years and yet no longer how no long no matter how long he lives, he can't enjoy his prosperity and he doesn't receive a proper burial. Now, if, when you die, whose responsibility is it to give you a proper burial? Whose responsibility? Your ch- you'd hope, your children. This guy has how many children? A hundred. And yet at the end of his life, not one of them is willing to give him a proper burial. What does this say about his relationship with his children? It's pretty screwed up. It's pretty poor. It's tense and stretched and strained, and underneath the blessing of many children, we find that there is disappointments, and there is relationships that are fracturing. And even this guy that lives 2,000 years, apparently, he lives 1,000 years twice over, but he fails to enjoy his prosperity. So he's got all of this life, but he's miserable. What is the point of having a long life if you're not enjoying your life? In fact, if your life is miserable... You could say that a longer life is not a blessing at all. It's a curse. It's prolonging the misery. So once again, blessing has become cursing. Blessing has become disappointment. Every single time this blessing is is turned around and has become disappointment. And the key word that crops up here, at least in my translation, three times it's used, once in relation to each of these scenarios, is the word enjoy. In verse 2, God does not grant them the ability to enjoy their wealth. In verse 3, he can't enjoy his prosperity. And then in verse 6, he fails to enjoy 
his prosperity. You see what's happening? Each time somebody is blessed, but they're not enjoying the blessing. It's not that they're not blessed, but they're not enjoying the blessing that God has given them. The last time that word is used, the word enjoy, it literally means to see. This person has been blessed, but they're not seeing it. They are not aware of it. They're not, they're not conscious of it. The blessing is right there in front of them, but they are not seeing the blessing. Now, this has absolutely no relevance to our lives today, does it? Is it possible that there are ways in our lives that we are being blessed by God, but we're not seeing it? That we are not aware of it, and therefore we're not enjoying it. God is blessing us, all right. There are blessings in our life, but so often you and I are failing to see them. We're failing to recognize them, so we're failing to enjoy them. A few years ago, I I slipped a disc in my back, and it was really painful. It hit the sciatic nerve, so all down my leg was just stinging away, that, that long nerve that runs down your leg. And even now, like it took about two or three years to come right back from that injury. And even now, I can't lift many heavy things which has stolen away my dream of joining the pack-down team. Just never going <laughs> to... I don't think I'm ever going to get there now. But, you know, it was, it was tough. And those of you, I know many of you have had worse injuries than mine, but when you have an injury that lasts years or longer, it really messes with your mind, doesn't it? I mean, when you don't see improvement, even incremental improvement over time, it really becomes a head game. It really gets you down. It really becomes depressing. And that was, that was me for a while there, just this you know, hobbling around, just wondering if this is ever going to get... I'm in my 20s and i am just got this debilitating back injury. And as I look back on those years of my life, there were plenty of ways in which God was blessing me. Plenty of things that were going well, plenty of things that were good, plenty of things worth celebrating, but I couldn't see them. And therefore, I didn't enjoy them. I was just depressed because all I could see was my back injury. All I could see was this one thing, and therefore I'm failing to enjoy the blessings of God. Can you see how this works in your life? Can you think of ways in which this is happening right now for you? That there's disappointment, and nobody's undermining that. There's something that's not great, or that you want stuff to be different than, or other than, or better than. That's all okay, but it's preventing you from enjoying what's right in front of you, what God has blessed you with. I read a great book at the time by a guy called Martin Seligman. The book's called Learned Optimism, because some of us need to learn a little bit of optimism from time to time. And he talks about, in the book, he talks about the nature of pessimism, how pessimism works, and how we, how can we, we respond to events, what happens when we respond to them in a pessimistic way. He says what we tend to do is when you have a negative event in your life, when things go wrong, when there's something that's not right, we tend to do three things. We tend to universalize that event. So something's wrong, everything's wrong. That's familiar to some of you, right? One thing is wrong, the whole life, my whole life, it's all bad. You know, we project out, so everything now is black. Then, not only do we universalize, we also eternalize. Something's wrong, it's always going to be like this. This is never going to get better, it's never going to improve, it's always going to be just how it is now. And then thirdly, we internalize it's my fault. It goes to the core of our identity, it reframes who we are, and it drags us down because this is, rather than just it's life, rather than just this is the world, it's not, there's something to do with me. And you see how this drags us down? It just becomes all-consuming. 
And it prevents you from seeing blessing. It prevents you from seeing what God is doing. At the time I was struggling with this back injury, I went and saw Brian McStay, great therapist, counselor right here in our church, and he drew for me a drawing that I know he's drawn for many of you. He got a white sheet of paper, and he drew this black dot in the middle of it. And he said, what do you see? And of course I said, well, I see a black dot. And he said, but what about everything else? What about all the white space around the black dot? We don't see that because our minds are drawn to the black dot. And that was a bit of a game changer for me. That so instinctively, I, I find myself just going to the black dot and just focusing on that. That in a way, the whole page is black because that's what I see. My troubles, my problems, the difficulties, the whatever, and they're always going to be there. But that becomes my frame of vision. And I'm failing to see the blessings that are right in front of me. I think responding to all of this, it's not just as simple as saying, well, let's just start to see the blessings in our life better. Certainly that's, that's part of it. But I think there's a more fundamental step here. Because I think somehow this is tied to our perception of God and who God is. That often we're failing to appreciate the blessings in our life because we're failing to appreciate and enjoy the one from whom all blessings flow. And maybe beginning to see the blessings that are in front of us, begins by enjoying the one who is the giver of life, the giver of every blessing, the one, as James said, who gives us every good and perfect gift. Because you look at the way, even in this chapter, that the quester talks about God. Look at his God language. In verse 2, he shakes the finger at God, shakes the fist at God, and says God does not grant them the ability to enjoy what's in front of them. It's like, this is God's fault. He's placing the blame squarely at the feet of God. And then in verse 10, there's this intriguing picture of God. He says, whatever exists has already been named, and what humanity is has been known. No one can contend with someone who is stronger. The someone who is stronger in this picture is clearly God. And God is pictured here, what? As an opponent. No one can contend with someone who's... It's like this picture. God is an ogre in the sky. He's just trying to rob us of joy, steal away our, our fun in life, steal away happiness. He's just our opponent who's always against us. And some of you feel this way, that God is against you, that God is afflicting you, that God is punishing you, or at least that maybe God is just stealing away some joy and some pleasure that's rightfully yours. We get this idea that God himself is somehow postured against us, that he is our opponent, that he is an enemy, that he is our aggressor. And this is fundamentally the problem. That's where we need to start. Turn over to Romans 8 for a minute. Let me just bring you back to this passage that Phil read out earlier, which is our starting point, I think, for enjoying God and all the blessings he's given us. Romans 8 verse 31. What can we say then in response to these things if God is for us? Who can be against us? This is the starting point, is to believe that God is for you. For you. He's not your enemy. He's not your opponent. He's not your antagonist. He is for you. He is with you. He is behind you. He loves you. He is backing you. He is for you. Some of you just need to hear this this morning, nothing else, that God is just for you. He is for you. He's not against you. Get that idea out of your head. He's for you. 
How has he demonstrated this? Paul goes immediately to the cross. He who did not spare his son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? How can you defend the idea that God is for us? You look at the cross. Isn't it there that God has supremely demonstrated his posture towards you? That it is not one of judgment and anger, but it is one of favor and love and blessing, that he was able to give up his own son. That Jesus, in dying and rising for you, undertook this incredible act of self-giving love, self-lowering, self-emptying, self-condescending love, giving himself over to death in order to bring you life and hope to resurrect you and give you the hope of sharing in all things when Jesus returns. Isn't that the primary blessing that we should start to see and enjoy? Isn't that the blessing to end all blessings? This is the thing, you know, looking at the stuff in our lives, it's one thing to look at these blessings, but don't we have to start by saying, what is the ultimate blessing God has given us? And isn't it Jesus? Are you seeing that? Are you enjoying that? Does anyone actually enjoy being a Christian? Anyone at all? Any, 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 take any pleasure in that at all? Anything there? I mean, I'm not saying that you have to be constantly on an emotional high, but maybe the problem is we've lost sight of this blessing, that the cross no longer brings us to our knees in wonder, that we are so familiar with this that even as I'm talking about it, there's, and I, and I, know, I know the response, it's easy, but there can be blank faces and it's just, you know, well, this is just, we know it. This is our theology. We read it in the Bible. We yawn at this stuff, but this is unbelievably mind-blowing, what God has done for us in Christ. It has utterly changed us. It has utterly changed the entire world. We need to begin by just simply being grateful for that, grateful for the relationship we've been drawn into, what Jesus has done for us, and how this has altered everything, including our lives and the shape of our eternal destiny. That's the great blessing. And honestly, if God gave you that, if God gave you Jesus and then he left you alone on a desert island in the wilderness you know, for the rest of your life, he would still be infinitely gracious. If God saved you and then afflicted you with every possible ailment known to humanity, he would still be infinitely gracious. Why? Because the blessing of sharing in the death and resurrection of Jesus is so supreme and so above every other blessing, that that trumps everything. That's the blessing to end all blessings, and everything else just flows from that, but His grace is sufficient. Jesus is the blessing. Jesus is the one we've got to start to see so we can enjoy the blessing of our salvation. And then out of that, it's out of that frame of reference that we can start to see more clearly the things in our lives that God has given us, the things that are in front of us, that are blessings, that we can see better and enjoy better. And the key verse, coming back to Ecclesiastes 6, the key verse for me here is verse 9. It's an obscure statement, but there's a real world of meaning in it. Verse 9, he says, Better what the eye sees than the roving of the appetite. Now, what the eye sees is not what you desire to have, it's what you do have. Remember, what, what you're seeing is what's right in front of you. This is not about the craving of your soul after various types of things. This is not your constant desire for things to be other than they are, better than they are, different than they are. This is asking, what does my eye see in my life right now? That's what I can be thankful for. 
That's what I can enjoy. That's what I can receive as a gift from God. Earlier in the year, Anna and I bought a house, and at the time, this was an amazing provision of God. Just came along at the right time, it was in the right price bracket, we'd been looking for ages, didn't think that we were going to be able to get what we wanted for the, the right price, and this just had all happened fast, and it was just there, and it was a wonderful gift, and we were incredibly grateful. And then we moved in. And then suddenly the, you realize the oven's taking ages to heat up. You know, and, and there's all this electrical work that has to be done. You spend so much money getting that sorted. And the bathroom feels so tiny. And you're starting to see things that need doing and stuff that needs fixing and stuff that you want to be better than. And all the gratitude that we felt for this incredible blessing, it's just, it just faded away. Because we see the next thing that needs to happen in order to make this thing better. And we were talking about this the other day, just saying we've lost our sense of gratitude. We've lost sight of the blessing that this was. What does our eye see? It's this house. And this is a gift and this is a blessing. And yes, there's things we'll work on. And yes, there's, but let's never let that blind us to what our eye sees and what we can be incredibly grateful for now. So easily we go to the black dot. So easily that's what we see. That's what our vision focuses on. But what about all the white space that God's giving you? What about the blessings that are right there? What does your eye see? Just take a little virtual tour around your life. Just think about, just for a minute, think about your relationships. Think about family. Think about friends. Yes, there'll be some relationships that aren't what you want them to be, and there'll be some that are difficult. But what are the relationships that are just a treasure? What are the relationships that are just working? What are the relationships that are a rich blessing to you and to those that you are in that relationship with? That's what your eye sees. Can you begin to be grateful for those? Can you spend some time just thanking God for those? We tend to be, as Christians, so good at making prayer lists. But, you know, when was the last time you actually looked back at some prayer list and, and wondered how much of this stuff has been answered and I never gave thanks for it? You know, these, things, these, these petitions, these requests that we're so good at making to God, but do we have much of a rearview mirror to be able to look back and go, my goodness, that got answered and I was so quick onto the next whatever prayer request. I never even stopped and said a prayer of thanks that God came through there. And I never focused on the things that I do have. What about a praise list rather than just a prayer list? What are the things in your life that are blessings right in front of you? What about your health? Maybe there's parts of your body that aren't working so well. Are there a few parts that are okay? Are there just a few parts that you can give thanks to God for and say, this is actually working all right, I'm doing okay? You've got to find those things. You've got to celebrate those things. What about your finances? Maybe there's parts that are a mess, but are there things that God has given you that you can simply give thanks to Him for? The drift will always be towards the black dot. The drift will always be to allow blessings in our life to be turned around and perverted into disappointments. But friends, let's swim upstream from that. Let's learn to see the blessings of God. Let's learn to see them clearly. Let's learn to enjoy them. Thank God for them. Receive them as gracious gifts from His hand. Let me finish with the words of an old hymn at the risk of being really old school this morning. This is one that I know many of you love. Count your blessings. When, life's, when upon life's billows you are tempest-tossed, when you are discouraged, thinking all is lost, 
Count your many blessings. Name them one by one. And it will surprise you what the Lord has done. Count your blessings. Name them one by one. Count your blessings. See what God has done. Count your blessings. Name them one by one and it will surprise you what the Lord has done. So amid the conflict, whether great or small, do not be disheartened. God is over all. Count your many blessings. Angels will attend, help and comfort give you to your journey's end. May we learn to count our blessings. May we learn to see our blessings more clearly. And may we learn to enjoy the blessings we have and the one from whom all blessings flow. Connection Point is a joint production between Connection Resources and Shore Community Christian Church. If you would like a free copy of today's message, please email us or phone us on 0800 90 30 90. To subscribe to our free podcasts or to listen to the latest message, go to connectionresources.org.nz. Thank you.